love. We're, we're in a conversation on love. If you're new or just stopping in for the weekend, the, the theme of this part of Romans 12 is real, genuine love. And we're trying to look to the Bible to see how are we called to love one another? What does real love look like? Uh, and in doing that, I, I need to let you know that there are lots of voices describing this term, love. And if we had a conversation, we wouldn't necessarily agree on all the fine points. So as a Jesus follower, this is the opportunity you have if you choose to take it. This is your mission, to find out what Jesus says about love, not just in his words, but how Jesus lived his life. And that's why we look at the Bible. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. How does God in his son Jesus show love? And then look at the culture that we live in. We all are given messages about what love's supposed to look like and not. And then as a Jesus follower, maturity says, I overlap the two and say, okay, what does Jesus say? What does my culture say? And you're going to find that in some places, they're on point. Our culture in some places is on point with the way of Jesus, but in many places, it's totally off base. And so if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to look at love, Jesus, culture, and then do the hard thing, discern, discern. And where our culture says this is acceptable and this is right and this is good and Jesus says no, it's not, even as unpopular as it may be, I'm going to choose the way of Jesus over the way of our culture. Not in a mean and a negative way, but if I know that Jesus is life-giving, I'm going to follow his teaching. That, my friends, is what it means to be a, a disciple. And so we want to grow in that. And in doing that, we're looking at Romans 12 to help guide us. So we'll do like we've done every week. We're going to read the text and we're going to focus on one line. It's so rich. We can't really do more than one line. We could. We could do a paragraph if you're willing to sit for six to eight hours, which you're not. I'm saying you're not. So in love, we cut it. All right. Verse 9 of chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Don't act. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. Love has truth attached to it. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We'll look at that this morning. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In zeal, serve and love that way. Um, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's next week. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That will be first Sunday here in a couple of weeks. Last week we saw that real love is set on fire. The fact that you came back is a testimony to, to God's goodness or you're just like, man, he's going to blow something up this week. Let me go see. I don't know. If you missed it, check out the podcast because we were slightly or more than slightly in each other's face because real love is set ablaze. God ignites us to live like him. Uh, so we're looking at every week some dimensions. But let me give you a disclaimer. Uh, all of these every week aren't the only things. So some of you are like, man, I, I'm doing these two. Well, there's 10 more. You know, or I'm doing these 10. Well, there's 30 more. They're not, there's not one way. It's like a diamond. It's beautiful. But what is beautiful? There are so many facets that make the diamond a diamond. And diamonds are a girl's best friend or whatever. But, but, but there's not one dimension that makes it more beautiful. So when we're talking about God's love, all of these together. And what we want to do is grow in it because we don't have it all together as we will see. All right, two this week. Two we're going to look at from verse 10. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. 
Write this down. Real love is committed. I want you to say that with me. Real love is committed. Say it again. Real love is? Say it like you mean it in the person in the back. Real love is? Thank you. Real love, it has commitment attached to it. Now, you know this already flies in the face of our culture. Already. That statement alone. Because in our culture, love is what I'm feeling. And if my feelings change, my commitments change. And who are you to tell me? I feel this way. And real love, genuine, Jesus-centered love is committed. What I do is I look at the Bible. I look at multiple English versions because there's not one way. Those of you linguists who know multiple language, there's not one way. There are many ways to get the nuance of another language. So two more. Uh, the ESV, the English Standard Version, version. Love one another with brotherly affection is a great translation. Love one another. The ESV chooses the word brotherly, and we'll get to why in a second. New Living Translation. Love each other with genuine, so instead of brotherly, genuine affection. So you have be devoted to one, anotherly, one another in love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly affection. Be devoted to one another in genuine. So we're trying to get the nuance. What is he saying? What is life supposed to look like in the Jesus family? Well, we know he uses devotion or brotherly affection. For us, we know the word, but he's writing with the word Philadelphia, uh, which is, for us, is just a city. The city of what? All right, because we kind of get that. Some of our English words pull off of ancient words in Greek, but it, the, Philadelphia isn't the city of brotherly love. It's the city of the eagles, and there's a game going on. That's another story <laughs> for another day. Once the giants were out, I didn't care anyway, so. Like, what? He, yes. Yes. Thank you. So, and we're talking about love, so you can't be a hater. I love this. This is a great one. In the first century, when Paul uses the word Philadelphia, love, um, you think like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because we have 2,000 years of Jesus' influence. What you may not realize is the teaching of Jesus has influenced our culture for 2,000 years. So the very concept of loving people with brotherly or familial affection is not a foreign concept. You just need to know that when Paul's writing this to Rome, this is an oxymoron, and he's pushing the bounds because in the first century, family is family and everyone else is out. So it's okay to love people, but I'm going to love my friend like my friend. I'm going to love my neighbor as long as he stays away like my neighbor. I'm going to love my business people when they can give me a raise. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to love, and then I'm going to reserve this love for a brother or sister or the adopted family or mom or dad, okay? We all naturally have that inclination. If you have siblings, hopefully you're going to treat them with a deeper affection than the person you met five minutes ago at a party, right? I hope, I hope that you treat the people that are closest to you. So you're like, no, I actually treat my family worse. Other story for another day because sometimes hurts go deep. And so when I say family love, I have to recognize and hear me. For some of us, when we say family love, we can't think to our biological or our adoptive family because it's so fractured. They think, oh. And if that's the case, you're not alone. And that is the story of the world that we live in today. So I want you, and as hard as it is, to think of the family that you look to that really is loving each other well, that mom or dad or kids brothers, sisters, that are, they're doing it right. You and I are called to love each other. This is the hard part. 
he says, the love for mom, dad, brother, sister now belongs to those who follow Jesus. Here's why. Something happened, really happened. When you became a Jesus follower, and if you're not yet, today's a great day to follow Jesus. But here's what you need to know. You have a new heart, not pumping, you know, muscle in your chest cavity. You have a new, the heart is also a metaphor for the center. The center of you has, has really changed. God has come in and not just fixed it, he's given you a new heart. How do I have a new heart? God gives us his Holy Spirit. God's presence now lives, resides with you. So the way you think, the way you feel, it doesn't have to be the same. It can be if you don't realize what God has done. So many people don't live the Jesus life simply because they don't remember or they've never been taught that things are different. It's not just Jesus fixes my ailments and I go to him when I'm in trouble. No, Jesus has changed everything on the inside. So the way I process reality should change because now I see it through the eyes of the Spirit of God himself. And they say, like, I'm not there yet. Don't worry. None of us are there yet. We're learning who we already are. It already happened. It already happened to you. Now, growing in discipleship to Jesus is learning who God already made you to be. You're different. Now we can discover what different looks like. So you and I have been put into a family called the church. And this is where it gets tricky. What Paul says here to this group of people Rich, poor, young, old, slave, free, together, and broken. Now, love each other as if you were biologically bound, as you were real brothers and sisters. Now, I happen to have a good situation, so when I process this, this makes sense. Got an older brother, got a younger brother, you got a younger sister, a mom and dad. We love each other. We really do. Now, we know each other's stuff, you know, so we tease each other, we mock each other, because that's what, and when we were teenagers, we just wrestled. All we did was just wrestle and beat each other up. But I can tell you right now, and I do care about you, but if it's me and my brothers, and you're on the other side, opposed to my brothers, you should run. (laughs) Because I am tied to these people. We grew up together, and and we got genetics. So my older brother, me, my younger brother, like, yeah, one genetic code. That's just like one stamp with slightly different variations. And so, okay, that's true of me. That's true of us. Our genetic code has changed. We are now in Jesus Christ. And even though we look different and we have our own stuff and our own background and our own thinking, Hugh and I, at the DNA level, we are bound together with Jesus. Jesus is the head and we're his body. We really belong. And so one of the things that love says is we're committed. Why? Because we really belong to each other. We really are family. And in the best case scenario, a real family will stick together and be committed to one another even when it gets hard. And this is where church becomes an interesting thing in our culture. We're called to really care In light of the gospel, I can love you deeply, which means I'm committed to you, which is very unpopular. We see the teachings of Jesus. We see our culture. We overlap them, and we choose those things that are in sync with Jesus. So does church matter to you? Part of our culture says if you don't like something, leave. 
Part of our culture says if it doesn't fit your needs, walk away. And here's the interesting thing. He says, Paul, speaking by the Holy Spirit, you belong to Jesus, you belong to each other, now be committed. There was a time not too long ago, and so some of you who are a little bit older know that there was a thing called church membership. We don't have a formal membership process, and and I don't know about all of that. What I do know is the thinking behind it is beautiful, that here's who the church is, here's where the church believes, teaches, lives, serves, are you going to commit yourself to these people? It was the idea. Now, for many, it just became a social club, right? I'm a church member. But that philosophy behind it, I think, is actually beautiful. I know who these people are, and I'm giving myself to you. Now, we do it to our biological connected people or the person we're married to or whatever, or your closest roommate. The question is, do we live that way with other Jesus followers that are unlike us? Do, do, I, see, do I really see you? When, I, when you're at work and you find out that someone else is following Jesus, do you see them now with new lenses because you're, they're not just in the other department or they're not just vying for the same job, which makes it tricky, <laughs> you know? They're, they're my brother. They're my sister. Uh, if you don't think that this matters, look at Paul's advice. Paul has advice to a young leader who's leading a church. His name is Timothy. And and he sent them to the church to help serve them. Notice the language when he says, Timothy, here you're going to see lots of different people in this church. Here's how I want you to treat them. 1 Timothy 5. We'll put it on the screen. 1 to 2. He says, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your what? Your father. Timothy, you're a young leader. There are people that are older than you. You're actually a leader over them. I'm saying you have authority. But you treat them like you would a father. You, you show respect. You don't, you don't lash out. You don't rebuke. You don't belittle. You honor the person who's older. Boy, what if we just, what if we just lived that one out? What if we just lived as if those that were a little bit older are worthy of honor even if you think you're smarter. But because they've, they were here before you and they may have experience that you don't even understand, they have wisdom, you haven't even accomplished it. What if we just treated those who are a little bit older, what if we treated the elderly in our community with that kind of honor rather than saying, yeah, your has been. It was your time, now it's mine. What if we lived this way? Uh, treat younger men as brothers. So, Timothy, you're a leader in the church. That, that doesn't mean you can use your authority to do whatever you want. It means those people belong to you. You're to lift them up. You're to pick them up. Older women, treat them as moms. And then he's so smart because he knows the heart of a young leader. And younger women as what? Sisters, this is the only one with absolute purity. Timothy, keep your eyes on the prize, on Jesus. Those are your sisters. We're to live like a family. Now, why is this so important? I want to give you two of a hundred reasons why this kind of living is absolutely out of sync with our culture. Our culture does not value this. Our culture does not value treat the stranger now as a brother and sister, but we're not to give in to the cultural sway. We're actually called to teach the culture that we live in the way of Jesus. Two dimensions I want to look at. One, We're living in a technological age where people are 
hungry and lasting, uh, living for meaningful relationships. People are hungry for relationships. We know how to fidget with our devices. We don't know how to look someone in the eye. We just know how to look down. We have all sorts of connections that are virtual, but we don't know how to work out conflict one with another. We're loud on our screens, but yet we're intimidated by having an honest conversation with people face to face. We're connected, never been more connected in the history of humanity. Never. Yet we've never been more lonely and there have never been more Americans on drugs to deal with our imbalance than ever. Something's wrong. And so if you and I cave into the culture that says be connected in your own way and we don't show lasting commitment, we're missing a good news opportunity. You see, the church, right, is not perfect, but we're on display. You and I, when I say church, don't think building. Think of us as a people. What if we loved each other and spent time and invested in each other and put away things that everyone else is consumed by because we said that you matter and what's going on in your world really matters If we live this kind of life, it is out of sync with our world, but it shows the better way. When we treat those who we have nothing in common with other than Jesus differently because they belong to Jesus, it shows a different way. And you and I, we share the good news with our words, absolutely. We also share it with our lives. So in a world that is fractured, connected digitally, but in the soulish area, disconnected. We can choose in the way that we live, in the way that we treat one another, that there's an alternative. The second dimension is we're living in a day where people long for unity in diversity, real community in the age of the individual. Everything in our world is set. It's target marketing. And those of you who are in marketing know what I'm talking about. They no longer blast advertisements Good marketers know how to cut it down to your nuance because everything is about you, the person. And there's nothing wrong with that. Getting the message personalized to me is kind of like a, a good thing. But we're living in a world that's all about the individual. And you and I get to show what it's like to display unity in diversity and love even through our differences I'll give you the perfect example. Right now, we're living in a politically charged day. You kind of get that, don't you? And we're going to get to it when we get to Romans 13. I'm not going to steal all the thunder. But we have Republicans and Democrats and Independents and Greens and everything else. We have, we have everyone, everyone represented in this church. We have those who would say, I'm conservative. Those who would say, I'm liberal. Those who would say, I'm neither. I'm other right? We have everything. I'm just speaking of one spectrum. We'll come back to this later. We can, we don't always, we can show what it's like to have different understandings of public policy and absolute love and commitment to one another and not yell and point the finger. And please, I'm going to leak out where we're going. God help me. Get offline and stop spewing your venom in the marketplace because you're free to do it, you are not only ostracizing people, you're not giving them a real forum to dialogue, and you're not helping anyone. You're not. Well, but, but I have the right, and this is my channel. Please, don't be an infant. 
grow up, take your diaper off, and think. Because we have become toxic if we forget the way of Jesus. Culture in light of the teaching of Jesus. So as a Jesus follower, I need to repent and say, oh my gosh, is the way I'm speaking, is my commitment to people, do I recognize that even in the kingdom of Jesus, there's diversity in the way we see the world, in the way we see policies, in the way we see values, in the way we see finances. Am I putting those things above the fact that I am a brother and a sister to that person and I don't repent for saying take the diaper off. It was a good off-the-cuff remark. Because, because sometimes we act like children and God is saying, you are my kids. You're supposed to display the alternative, the better way. The better way. Are we really committed to one another? In, in a, now, the church hasn't always gotten this right, so let's be real. Sometimes we have allowed racism and classism and the divisions that are in our culture affect our own mind view. And, and we have said, we have said in the past, I love Jesus, but I'll also do this behavior, which is against the way of Jesus. So we're not perfect, okay? And I love church history. I love history in general. Church history is my favorite subject. And so you read church history and sometimes like, wow, how did they mess it up? And then I look at my own soul. <laughs> it was quite easy. We're growing. Now, so... One thing I don't want us to do is you don't talk bad about God's church just like you don't talk bad about someone's wife. Be very careful if you point the finger at the church, the church this, the church that. The church is always a people, and guess what? Jesus loves his people. As long as Jesus loves his people, don't go talking about Jesus' people. Now, we also recognize that we're in process and we're flawed, so we haven't always gotten it right, but can I just say it's a new day. So rather than pointing the finger at what we did or didn't do, how about this? Let's, let's get on our knees, cry out to God, and live like Jesus. And then model for the next generation what it looks like to really follow him. Okay, that was rant number one. Real love is committed. Real love is committed. Second one that is equally challenging. Real love, write this down, verse 10. Real love puts others first. Real love puts others first. Honor one another Above yourselves. Now, there's two ways you could translate this from Greek into English. And I just want to show you the nuance. Both are right. Both are helpful. They just highlight different dimensions. The, new, the NIV and NLT take one direction, put others above. So NIV, honor one another above yourselves. Uh, take delight, the New Living Translation, in honoring others. So put others above. The ESV, the English Standard Version, takes another direction. It's the same translation, but I think it gets to the heart of what Paul is saying in the way he says it. Outdo one another in showing honor. I think it gets the nuance of, of his wordplay. Outdo, how many of you would say, I'm competitive? Those who you raise your hands. Right, because like, you're uncompetitive, like, no, it's like, I beat you. Like, see, <laughs> I'm the first hand up, right? You're competitive. I'm, I'm, I'm hyper competitive. And that's, okay, the, the thought here is be competitive in lifting other people up. Like outdo, outdo one another in highlighting how Jesus is at work in someone else. What would it look like if you were so enamored at what God's doing in other people and highlighting that 
as opposed to thinking about what he's doing or not doing in your own world? What if my eyes were on you rather than on me all the time? And I think the nuance is to real, show real love. Yeah, we commit to one another for real. And then we choose to honor, lift up one another. Now, if you're saying, well, that doesn't seem to make sense in the world that we live in. It didn't make sense, especially in the Mediterranean in the first century. It was all about the Caesars would tout their battles, their accolades. You would build bigger palaces. You would have more horses. You would flaunt your victory, which is very much today, right? Except it's just online. And we want to show the world what we have done. And hear me, there is nothing wrong with a job well done. Look, if you have studied hard and actually made it to the end and they didn't kick you out of school, but they gave you a piece of paper, you ought to rejoice and throw a party. Job well done. You work on the job and that thing is picked up by your company and it becomes a lead thing. We ought to celebrate that. Honoring you does not make me lower. And that's the challenge of our culture is this is idea is if I spend too much on time on you, people won't see me. And in Jesus, it's like, no, honor you. And all the time, God is doing in my world what he's doing. It doesn't make me lower to lift you up. Honor simply means to show respect or value. So we're to show respect and value one another. Again, it doesn't diminish me. It says, yeah, God's working in my world and I'm thrilled but God's also working in your world, and I want to talk about that. What would it look like if we were talking about each other in the best way and lifting up to other people so that they would see, man, God's at work. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York and a great thinker, writes about this passage. Honor, honoring one another above ourselves means to listen to the other person, to be most aware of his or her hopes, joys, needs, and fears, and to be considerate. In addition, when Christians see other Christians, they see not just the image of the creator, catch this, but Christ himself in residence. This is why it's so important that we're together. Honoring simply means I'm, I'm, I'm looking to my own needs, wants, all that. Yeah, but I'm looking to you. I'm looking to see what God's doing in you. And I'm looking to see Jesus at work in you. Now, there are all sorts of things going on in your life. Let's, let's not be naive, there are some things that need growth. There are some things that are shrinking. There's some area of, areas of weakness. I see those. I simply highlight Jesus. I highlight. I choose to highlight what Jesus is doing. And that's why this kind of love, when we really honor one another, it's going to create a unity that is a beautiful expression of the way God created the world. God created the world to be good. And it is good, but it's fractured by pride. And when we come together and choose to honor one another, we're showing that God's way is the best way and there's space for everyone. And we don't have to put each other down or I don't have to elevate myself at your expense. Do we honor one another? That's why Sundays are so, are so special because it's a, as weird as it sounds, it's a reminder every week that there's more to life and following Jesus than me and Jesus, right? There's, you, when you see other people, when I see people who are on the stage or behind our gear, they have gifts that I don't have. And I hear harmonies and I realize there is a note. I see it. I feel it. I just can't get my voice to match it. You know, like, but I see it's rather than saying, man, I wish I could. I just honor that God has gifted people in our church. When I go, sometimes I'll just slip out and go over to the kids 
area and I see men and women, young and old, giving time to kids that aren't theirs. No paycheck, but investing, holding babies right now so that you could have a break and you could actually sit and think. What a, so we, on, we honor one another and, and we see that we're different and we have different passions and gifts and skills and experiences. This is a beautiful thing and we lift each other up. That's why being together really matters. Hear me. Why do we push so much? We're a church that gathers on the weekend and scatters in community life. We call them 26 West communities and they're places where there's 5, 10, 15, 20. Some are really multiplying 30 and we get to know each other. Uh, and and, and say, so I, I would do that, but life is hard, man. And I'm busy and all that. Why do we look to both? We need the big because it gives us the big view of the big God that we serve. And so I'm all for big church. I, I really am. And I think the bigger the better. And that the more people, the more expressions of the goodness of Jesus in our world we see. And where else do you go where you see God at work in so many lives? But at the same token, we need the small because how am I really going to be committed There were hundreds here before you. There are hundreds here now. How can I live out this command? Be committed to one another. How can I be committed when I can't even remember your first name? I'm trying. I'm trying. I don't even know your name. But when we see church as the big, I'm a part of the big thing God's doing, and I'm a part of the small things God's doing, I realize I can't make, like, deep commitments to everybody, but that doesn't doesn't excuse me from making deep commitments to a few. We see church as not just the big global, and this makes me very nervous, rent coming right now. Very nervous when I hear people like, well, you know, I don't go to church anymore. I kind of gave up on them. Really, I'm so sorry. Yeah, because I got hurt in church. I'm like, so did I. Real, I'm sorry. And then you feel that pain. But then you have to, you have to speak out to the alternative. Uh, church for me, I've got two people or I've got my three friends and we do church. We're the church. I'm like, oh, wow, this is interesting. You get to pick your own body. Think about that mindset. I pick the people who look like me and talk like me and act like me and say we are the church and I leave no room for everyone else. That is a, not only is it a heresy, it is a dangerous place to live. Now we do it not because we think it's the greatest way, it's because we've been hurt. And when I'm hurt, I retreat. And when I'm hurt, I build walls. And when I'm hurt, I protect myself. Hear me, friend. Jesus wants to set you free to be committed and honor and value his beautiful bride called the church with all its flaws. And those of you who've been married uh, know for years that to be committed to someone does not mean that they are perfect, does it? doesn't mean that they're not in process. It means love, real love, is able to look beyond that which is not changed yet and see them for who Jesus created them to be and to say, I am into you and committed to you. So we honor one another. Now, how do we live this out? Just going bigger for a second. 98% of you, I made up the number, 98% of you come from another church. How do we honor one another? Because here's the thing. Almost all of you have come from another church. Let's just do it. How many of you were a part of another church, local church, before coming here? Raise your hand. How many? Okay. Um, okay, 93%. For, forgive me. 
my stats are off. So many, many of you are part of our ch- church. Here's where it gets tricky. We are part of not just a local church. We are part of God's big thing called the church. So we're to honor one another and we're to honor the other Jesus communities in our city. And this is where it gets really hard because it's easy to point the finger at that church. And we need to realize that Jesus loves all of his people. So we honor one another. We try to live this out. Here's how we do this as a church. We've done four or five uh, together events. How many of you came to any of our like together events? It was prayer and worship. So many of you came. And the beautiful thing is at our together events, it was called together on purpose. And it didn't have one person lead it. It was multiple people, not one person singing, multiple people to try to display that we're a part of the big Jesus thing, not just our Jesus thing. And that is a beautiful thing. And we want to do more of that. I told you uh, in December, if you were here, that we'll start sharing some things that we think Jesus is doing and where he's leading them. One I want to highlight, we so believe that the best way for all of our city to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, is for us to share his news together. And so we uh, booked out on August the 12th what we're going to call Good News Today. We're going to do an event at Hillsborough Stadium. We already booked it October 12th. I'm sorry, August 12th, and it's an opportunity. More to come on that. I was hoping to announce uh, the bands that are coming today, but this thing's called Contracts, so I I can't do that yet. But what we're going to do is, at least for a day, invite everyone in every church in the entire metro area to come out and to invite a friend who's yet to engage in life in Jesus or is struggling. And we're going to share the good news together. We're going to sing together. We're going to hang out together. We're going to have food together. And it's going to be free to everyone except us. (laughs) So so here's what we're doing. I want you to know this. This is serious. How do we honor one another? Well, we as a leadership team, the event's going to be free, right? It's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the lead. We're going to take the lead on funding it. We're going to take the lead on serving it. We're going to take the lead on organizing it. We're going to do all of it, and we're not going to put our name on it. You're not going to see our name on it. The only caveat is I'm sharing the gospel. That's the only our, our piece that's going to be public. It's going to be an event by the city, for the city, everyone invited. There is good news today, and you're welcome here. And here's the trick. More people will end up at other churches as a result of the event than ours, to which I'm giddy. Because it's so American to say, hey, let's do this event, our church, because it's going to grow our church, because our church is awesome. And by the way, our church is awesome. But it's about Jesus and the city. And the way we show unity is by taking the low place. So you just need to know this. As we're getting towards August, we're going to ask you to pay the price literally so that other people, maybe other Jesus communities that are a little bit smaller or not in a financially stable place who would love to do something like this, why don't we throw the party and just invite everybody and we pay for it, most of it. If they want to give some, great, but no requirement. Why? Because that's what honoring is all about. It's about seeing Jesus in everyone and everyone doing their part. Okay, that's, that's just the big picture of where we're going. That's just one. Where we're really, really, really going is good news today, I pray, in the next 10 years, is that we're sharing the gospel all around the world through media to people we will never physically go to, but there will be untold millions of people encountering life in Jesus via media through you in the next decade. That's one small plan. We're, we're just getting started because we want everyone to experience life in Jesus. We honor and we elevate and we sacrifice not for our name, 
but for Jesus. And I'm slightly excited about that. Some of you are a little skeptical. You got caught up on the saying, I'm going to make you pay for it. You just got caught up on that. That just it hit you like, wait a minute. I'm not going to make you do anything. Jesus is going to encourage you. All right. Two things that we can do. All right, let's get to us. We'll bring it back home, but more to come on good news today. How do we live out our commitment to one another? How do we, how do we begin to live this way? Two that I think we can focus on, although there's plenty more. First one is we show devotion and honor in our words or with our words. Honor begins, devotion begins, commitment begins with our words. My wife is here, and she's not perfect but she's as close to perfect as anyone I have ever met. And I'm not blind, deaf, and dumb. We've been together for almost 30 years. When I think about someone who loves people and cares for people and honors people and, and is committed to people, she, in that way, is so close to Jesus. And the way I know it is because I am not like that. And so I'm convicted by her Jesus-likeness. Now, because she's not perfect, I can choose to say lots of things about my wife. You just need to know this. I think about what I say carefully. Part of devotion and commitment and honor is choosing, hear me, choosing our words carefully. You can say anything, but should you say everything? You can say it because you say, well, I'm keeping it real. Oh, I love that. That's, you know, I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. And look, and if you can't take it, well, I just gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell it like it is. Well, you don't need to vomit. You can be honest with honor. You can choose to see good and, yes, at the appropriate time, in the appropriate way to the appropriate person, confront differences. There's nothing wrong with speaking the truth, but Scripture says speaking the truth in love. And love never shows up as gossip. And love never shows up as finger pointing. And love never shows up as belittling. Real, genuine love says, I honor you, I'm committed to you, and trust me, I need to repent of this all the time. I repent every week. It's why I type out my messages, it's done by Thursday, and I send it to people as a form of repentance. I send it to about 20 people so that they can chime back, and they, men and women, young and old, chime back and say, what about, what about, I'm not sure, or wow, that came across weird, and so I could do my repenting before I get to you. Which means I don't just get up here and start talking and because if I did that, which is the nature of my personality, I'll have to stop midway and repent a lot because my words can bring blessing and curse, joy and trial. And so I want to be careful. And that doesn't mean we always get it right. It means we think about what we say, and that's real love. Parents, hear me clearly. Just because it's true about your kid doesn't mean you should tell them. And by the way, if you're telling them every day about that thing that they can't get right, is that going to motivate them to the way of Jesus? We need to be careful with our words and honor that, man, I see what you're becoming. I see what you're becoming in Jesus. I see how you're growing rather than belittling. Second, if you think that's not the hard one. This is a difficult one. We show devotion and honor with our choices. With our choices. Do we really consider each other in our decisions? Do we really think about, do you, uh, now you say, well, I think about my people. You think about your immediate people. In the decisions you're making, do you ever consider your church 
that what you're doing or not doing, how that might impact your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Devotion and honor says, you're my brother, you're my sister, you belong to me, I belong to you. I was talking to a friend from Africa, a pastor, and uh, he came here to study, and we're going over differences. Because I go there, I go to Uganda a lot, and I just asked him, okay, in your time in the U.S., what were some of the biggest differences in terms of church, right? Well, some of the obvious ones were like our singing and dancing is lackluster. Okay, we know that. We know, we know that. But he said the number one is, real quick with it, the number one thing is you, you people here, he's like, I'm not one of you. You, in church, you just make all sorts of decisions without even thinking about how it's going to impact the church. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, a new job opportunity comes up and you just take it without talking to the church because you going may impact the people. Now some of you are like, that's weird thinking. If you read scripture, it's like, holy cow, I think that's more to the heart of God. Not that you process your personal decisions. Don't, don't call me. Don't, you know, should I go here? Should I go? Don't, don't, don't. But, but, but what he was saying was, as a church, when you join a church, your life belongs to these people, so you process your decisions with them to make sure they're going to be okay. You think about your brother and sister, and which is foreign. Now, some of you in your mindset are saying, well, he's from Africa, which is not only racist, is wrong. Because I think that brother and the way their church and people process it is closer to the heart of God. Not that we're legalistic, not that we're weird, not that we're a cult, calm down. But that we see Jesus infiltrating all of life. And if you belong to me and I belong to you, my decision matters. So if this is overwhelming, good, because we need Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're now we're going to turn. We're not there yet. We're not really loving this way fully, but we can and we want to. So which is why we do a few songs up front and we do more songs in the back because the songs are a tool for repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. God is fixed in that he's always right. He's always right. So every week when I come, I I sing because it gets my mind on God's thoughts, and then I hear scripture, and then we respond in worship because now it's, it's going in my soul, and I see, oh, and I return to repentance, to return back to God's direction. And so this morning, I pray that our worship is an opportunity to turn. And in the area where we need to ask God's forgiveness, we repent. And in the area where we realize, wow, I wasn't even thinking about it, now I'm thinking about it, that we would ask God, the Holy Spirit, to embed it in my day-to-day decisions and in the way I treat other people. And I pray that for all of us. <laughs> all of this requires Jesus. No, no, we can't do this. But in Jesus, we're more than able to live with real love. Well, I'm going to invite you now to stand if you would, and we're going to respond. And again, this isn't the time to check out. These songs are... The goal is that they would focus my heart, my attention back to Jesus because Jesus really loved with devotion and commitment. The cross is commitment. The cross is devotion. And, and, and Jesus lived with honor. He, he tells his disciples, this is crazy, greater things are you going to do. Honor. 
He tells his disciples, I've done some, you're going to do greater things because of me and because of the Holy Spirit who's going to fill you. So devotion and honor is something we can grow in. Lord, we confess that we missed it at times, but we choose not to stay there. Because what we've heard is true, we now ask you to realign our thoughts and our actions back to you and that Jesus, you, by the presence of your spirit living within us, will give us the ability to discern and decide and that the next few days will be more aligned with your way and that we'll really love like you do. We thank you that your love has been poured out into our hearts by the Spirit. So now may our worship be pleasing to you, Jesus. We pray.